Good morning. How are you guys? I sound better, don't I? Yeah, I don't look any better, but I sound better. I, uh, I am feeling much better. Thank you for your prayers. And uh, yeah, last week was a tough week, but God carried us through. Uh, we are continuing in Nehemiah today. If you want to turn your, in your Bibles with me uh, to Nehemiah chapter 8, I'd appreciate that. Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> we are continuing in our, in our series uh, in Nehemiah, the determined servant, right? And, and looking at how we might be a determined servant. And I've challenged us continually in areas of our family and in our church and in our community. So we're going to continue that today. Um, over the last, or the first, the first few chapters, about four chapters or so, uh, we, we had seen in Nehemiah <clears throat> that God had been faithful to provide for and to protect his people, that he was indeed their provision and they could trust in him and he was a faithful God to that end. Um, and, it, and there was a lot of opposition. We saw a lot of opposition rise up. Uh, and last week, we see God continue uh, to call on his people to respond to that faithfulness with conviction. And, and he set the example of that. Remember, last week was a servant's conviction. And when the opposition came and said, why don't you meet us halfway? Why don't you be a good neighbor? Uh, we'll, we'll take care of you. What did Nehemiah say? He said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am committed wholeheartedly to the task at hand, and you are not going to convince me to step off this wall, to step away from the work that God has called me to do. So for you and I, we had to reprioritize our lives a little bit and say, what, what is that deep conviction that we have? Obviously, for you and I, the great work of God in our lives is to make much of Christ, that we would exemplify Christ in our lives, that we would lift him up uh, to, for his glory to be seen in the world around us, whether it be in our family, our church, or in our community. That is our great work. And if someone asks us to step aside or calls us, calls us down for a moment to, to talk or negotiate, we should say, no, I'm, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Sorry, I'm too busy doing God's work here, doing what God has called me to do. And after that, there's different calls we have in our lives. Different places we're called to serve, different places we're called to, to be obedient. And there are different seasons in our lives, amen? Like we have different seasons where, whether we're going to really have to focus on our home and maybe our financial situation or we have to, and being better stewards there, or we have to focus really in on our church family and, and where I can meet needs there and, and, and take the, the gifting that God has given me and, and fit and find a place to serve, to edify and encourage the body of Christ. Or maybe it's in your community that you're just going to resolve to be the best witness you can be to your coworker so they might know Christ so they might have conversations with you about Christ and, and see, see Jesus in your life and see what he's done in your life. There's a great work to be done, and for us to not take on that work is to be swayed by the enemy, is to be pulled off that great work by the enemy. And that's exactly what he wants us to do. I've also said in the course of this series that if we aren't feeling some kind of tension, if we're not feeling some kind of opposition to what we're doing, we're probably not exactly where God wants us to be. See, when Satan is pleased with where we are, we won't feel opposition. We may feel a little conviction by the Holy Spirit, but we won't feel opposition. When we are where God wants us to be, Satan doesn't like that, and we will feel opposition. You and I have to come to that place where that's okay. I, I welcome opposition. And where James says those trials and sufferings produce endurance. It's like strength training or weight training. In order to get buff, I've got to work out. For our faith, in order to get buff in our faith and strong in our faith, we have to endure hardship and endure suffering and endure opposition. And Nehemiah was a great example of that. But today he continues on and kind of helping us respond 
to this faithful God. Uh, and, and we have these strong convictions we should stand on. And then when he shifts gears, he shifts gears not to the work at hand, but understanding the work at hand is bigger than just the wall. And he shifts his focus to the spiritual well-being of his community. Remember last week we saw that Nehemiah finished the wall in 52 days because of a servant's endurance and conviction, right, and compassion and all the things we've looked at already. He was determined to be a good servant. Today we look at a servant's worship. And what does the spiritual well-being of the community look like? So for you and I, as we look at the servant's worship, we should be challenged. How, how, how well am I doing in these areas of worship in my family, in my church, and in my community? It's hard. When we, when we come to church on Sunday mornings, I think we have to really, for me at least, I have to really intentionally think about what am I doing here? Why am I here? Sometimes it's fun to reconnect with people that you haven't seen all week and just say, hi, how's it going? I, I was praying for you. I wanted an update and see how, how your life's going. But it's, it's not only about that. <clears throat> Do you know what we just got done doing? Someone say it. Singing worship songs, right? And, and sometimes we treat the worship songs like it's just, it's, it's just some singing. It's kind of fun. It kind of jazzes us up a little bit. No, th- the worship songs are, are things that we should be saying and singing and thinking from our heart. It should be an overflow of, of a, and a response to what God is doing in our lives. That's what worship is and prayer. Then we come to the Word. We, we, we seek to know God, God and hear God's voice that we actually came today expecting to hear from God. That's why we're here today. And if we can focus our energy and focus our minds and our hearts to, to be worshipers and to be receivers of, of God's voice and His Word, then we would leap changed and different. We would begin to understand and know what it is to be a servant who worships well. So today we're going to look at a servant's worship, and and we're also going to be celebrating and remembering and rejoicing in the Lord's Supper today. And I think it ties in so great today with with the text that we have, And, and we're just going to see exactly what that rejoicing looks like today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So I'm excited for that. I hope you are too. But we'll get into our text right now. Let's go ahead and, and jump into prayer, and we'll, uh, we'll get started. Father, <clears throat> you are a great God, and we are thankful to be your children. As we come before you today, it is, it is in humility we, we desire to worship you and respond to the greatness and glory of God. We thank you for your grace and the mercy that you poured out on us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, help us today as we look at the text in your word that we would glean new understandings, new insights, or at least insights that would change us and challenge us to be more and more like Jesus, a servant who worshiped. May our lives point to that suffering servant. May we lift him up in all that we do and say with all that we are. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to look at a servant's worship today. Number one, a servant's worship, they value God's word. A servant who worships values God's word, and we're going to see that today. We had had this wall uh, completed, and the work wasn't done. I said that earlier. Like God's work is never done. We can't just rest and set aside. But we we shift the focus from from building and physical to actually the spiritual well-being of a people. And we're talking about the worship of a people today. Uh, scripture helped to make the nation of Israel, right? And they were a people of the book. 
Now, although several nations have come and, and have risen and fallen since Israel and have tried to say, let's be a people of the book or a nation of the book, even our own country, right? No one has lived up to that. No one has, has fully embraced, yes, we are the Bible-based people, the people of the book. I don't think you can look on anywhere on earth and say that about a nation anymore. But the people of God, you and I, who are a nation within a nation, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, so we are a nation within a nation. We are to be people of the book, people who value the word of God. We would do well to place the word as supreme in our lives. And we need to be a fruitful people who are marked. Listen, you and I need to be a people marked as people who love the word, who read the word, and who obey the word of God. Listen, folks, this is our source. Nothing that we do could be done without this. Now, I would say some, sometimes we do in, in the American church do things that maybe are extra biblical. Like, oh, well, maybe it wasn't needed. That wasn't necess- necessary. But this should be the source of everything we do. We should test everything against Scripture in our family, in our church, and in our community. So they had completed the wall, and Ezra and Nehemiah said, we're going to have a Bible conference. That's basically what they said we're going to do. We're going to have a Bible conference reminding people of God's word, letting them hear from it and understand it. So they put the word of God first in everything, and then what proceeded was because of a people's response to the scriptures and to the Savior who they found inside. See, our response, our lives should be lived out because of what the scriptures say and do and how that transforms us and the Savior that we find within. Amen? We find the Messiah. We find Jesus here who's ready to forgive us. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1 and go through 3 and then jump down to 5. All the people gathered at the square in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Wow, what a reverence for the book. You and I get a little upset if I go late, right, in preaching. Like, oh, we've got to get out of here. I'm getting hungry, and that's more late service, right? But we kind of, we, this is daybreak. It, the sun started to rise, so they gathered. Then Ezra opened the book and started reading it to them, and it said until noon. For five or six hours, the people stood and listened with understanding. They listened intently to the word because they were a people who valued the word of God. Well, why? Well, they had seen what God had done for them. For, for those of you who, who don't know Jesus, who haven't, haven't put your faith or trust in Christ to forgive you and to redeem you, you don't quite understand the value of, of the book. You will, and you could if, you, if you'd like to. But for those of us who have seen what Christ has done in our lives, our response is, I want more of you, Jesus. Less of me and more of you. So when these people had seen how God provided and continued to provide and remembered their ancestors and how he provided, now at this moment in time, they are recalling that and they are worshiping and they are giving reverence and intent, intentness to the scriptures themselves so that God would continue to speak to his people and they would be a people of the book. Jump down to verse 5. Ezra opened the book in view of all the people 
since he was elevated above everyone, and he opened it, and all the people stood up. There's another reverence, right? Oh, we're gonna, would you imagine that? If we just stood, we maybe we sat during worship and we stood during the sermon time, right? All the people, it said all the people stood up. Ezra praised the, the Lord, the great God, and with their hands lifted up, all the people said, amen, amen, or so be it is that word. Let it be, with all my heart, let it be. Let it be known. Let these words go out. Let us hear the word of God and let it change us. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. See, there was a reverence and a value for God's word. And then it says in part of verse 7, it said that the Levites explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. So you have Ezra reading the law, and then the, the Levites are out there shepherding and explaining the law so people really did understand. It wasn't just about one person saying something. It was about further, in, uh, further education and further understanding. In verse 8, they read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving, meaning, giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Here's the deal. The book was brought out. It was valued. The book was opened. And it was read, and then it was explained so it could be understood. Uh, we have that at our church, right? It's called Sunday morning worship. It's the sermon time where we bring out the book. If I came up here and I didn't have my Bible and I decided just to give you an inspiring speech, it wouldn't be what God intended. We are people of the book. We get the book, we open the book, we read the book. And, and, and we've encouraged you over the last eight or so months, nine months, to continue to bring your Bible, to open your Bible, to read your Bible. We aren't putting these verses on the screen anymore. You and I are to look in the book and read it. And then, obviously, I'll explain it to you, but there's, there's always room for more discussion. And what we have set up for that in our church is Sunday morning Bible study. Right? We have Sunday school that meets after this service right, from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and they, they have a different variety of different lessons and different uh, focuses in each group, but there's amazing, amazing opportunity to, to learn more of what the Scripture says. Then there's small group Bible studies that meet throughout the week in different places and different homes that are benefit to us, that we would, we would glean and understand more and more about the Word of God, because worshipers, servants' worship should be a, a one that values the Word, the Word of God. They stood again for five or six hours hearing the word read and, and being explained to them. And there's this balance between reading of Scripture and the explanation of Scripture and understanding of Scripture. Either way, we must value God's word. Number two, a servant's worship then consisted of a response to God's word, a responding to God's word. But let's pick up in verse 9 through 12 in our text. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet and send portions to those who have nothing prepared since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve because the Lord is your stronghold. The joy of your Lord, the Lord is your stronghold. And the Levites quieted all the people saying be still since today is holy do not grieve then all the people began to eat and drinks and portions and have great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them there's so there's a value of God's word and then there's a response to God's word 
as Ezra read and explained the word, the assembly's first response to it was one of conviction and grief. They found them mourning and weeping in the crowd. They were, they were distraught over their own sin. And while the law can't save us, it can convince us of the need that we have to be saved and it reveals the real Savior within. What is the law good for? It reveals that we can't keep the law and we need a Savior. And that is Jesus Christ. So the people were mourning over this time. And, and what, here's kind of what was happening. Uh, the days prior to this, they had just celebrated the Feast of Atonement. And, and the Feast of Atonement, or the Day of Atonement, uh, on that day, the, the Lord was dealing with their sins. It was a time of repenting of their sins, understanding their sin and sorrow, convicting, being convicted, and then being cleansed of their sin, atoning for their sin, that God would pay for their sin and wipe them clean. It was a clean slate. So they, they had already experienced this. And now they're hearing the word again, and it's being revealed again that, that they are such bad people that they go into grief again. And what, what the priests do and what the Levites did is said, wait, 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 don't, don't cry, don't mourn, don't grieve. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength, it said. Well, why did they say that? Well, here's the deal. It's, it's kind of a sequence, and it's important. Uh, the, Jewish, the Jewish calendar, they had the Day of Atonement. And then after the Day of Atonement, several days after, like five, they started the, the Feast of Booths, or the, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And this feast was, uh, it followed the atonement, so it was a sequence. Uh, you, had, you had the first part of the sequence was conviction. I'm convicted over my sin, I'm repenting over my sin, and I'm asking for atonement, I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm seeking that, that I be cleansed from God. And then once that was done, this, the Feast of Tabernacles was to be a week-long celebration of a, ha- a happy time of rejoicing. Well, what would they have to rejoice over? That their sins had been atoned for. That their sins had been taken care of. The time for rejoicing was to be present. Now, I believe that as we look at Scripture, it's very important to us to follow this sequence as, as a response to God's word, here's the sequence. You and I should open the word, read the word, hear the word, have it understood, right, explained. And in it, we should be convicted of our sin, convinced that we cannot measure up to God's standard, that there's nothing in me inherently good that could ever earn my way to God. And because of that, that sends me to my knees in humility, seeking a righteousness of Jesus and not of my own, seeking a forgiveness and atonement only from Jesus that I could not earn. It's a meekness, it's an emptiness that I stand before God empty with nothing to present to him that's worth anything because he is of the highest value. And what he offers is of the highest value. So it starts with, begin- with conviction and repentance and then there's this cleansing and atonement and then that should be followed by rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord and celebrating in the Lord. And I want us to think about the Lord's Supper today and what that means. There, there's a couple ways, and, and we'll, I told you last time we had the Lord's Supper, I would try to do this this time as far as a huge explanation on the text in Corinthians, but we're in the middle of Nehemiah. We're not going to do that. But, but to me, there's a couple of, of ways that are unworthy to receive the Lord's Supper that I, you see in, te- in the text. And I think there's some ways we've kind of added to it and, and made, it, made it something that it's not. The Lord's Supper is not to be consumed because we're hungry. Right? It's not about the flavor or the taste or, or, of the crackers or of the juice. 
It's about remembering the blood and body of Jesus Christ. And if we're coming to partake because we want to have that flavor, we're wrong. I was talking to my dad, and he had an experience with, with his church where someone had, had complained about the juice one time because they bought a juice that was on sale, right? And, and they came in, and they, they used that juice, and the person complained. They're like, I don't like this juice. You need to buy the other juice. That's an unworthy manner of remembering the Lord's Supper. It's not about the flavor of the juice. It's not about if it's flavor right or Western family. It's about remembering the, the blood and body of Jesus Christ. An unworthy manner is to complain about the flavor. An unworthy manner is to, to use it to, to fill my stomach. This is not a time of, of making sure we, we're meeting people's needs. We're not even breaking large chunks of bread like they did in the day. This won't fill us. It's a time of remembrance. It's a solemn time. The other way that's unworthy to partake is a, is a way that we have of pride. When we come today and say, you know what? Yes, I've got it all together. I've confessed all my sin. I'm ready to go. I can take the Lord's Supper. No, you can't. Not with that attitude. See, the Lord's Supper is this. It, it's a remembrance tool where we rejoice in the fact that I am a filthy sinner made clean only by Jesus Christ. It is not because I've got it all together. It is not because I've, I've confessed every last sin in my life. It is because Jesus Christ has taken every sin and washed me white as snow. And that me, the, the schmuck that I am, can approach the Lord's Supper and say, I, I am not worthy, but oh, Jesus is. And we rejoice and we celebrate. We have conviction. He forgave us and atoned for our sin. And as we partake, we are partaking as a, a means of worship and rejoicing. Amen? That's how we partake in the Lord's Supper. This is worship. Yes, and I hope you come repenting of your pride, of your ego, saying, I have it all together. Repenting of your, your thoughts of, man, I hope the juice tastes better than last time. Because today is not about the flavor of the juice or the freshness of crackers, right? It's about the blood and body of Jesus Christ given for us as an atonement for our sin. And we remember when we respond to him, when we respond to God's word. So what's next in the servant's worship? The next thing in a servant's worship is that we obey God's word that we would obey God's word. Let's look at 13 through 15, <coughs> and then 17 through 18. On the second day, the family, uh, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled before Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. They continued to study. They continued to make this a priority every day. This was like a, a week-long conference of Bible. Verse 14, they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded uh, through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the festival of the seventh month. So yes, we're celebrating the, the Feast of the Tabernacle, but now they're learning, oh, we're supposed to not only celebrate this and be happy, we're supposed to dwell in these booths made out of these sticks. Uh, it goes on, it says, uh, so they proclaimed and spread this word throughout, throughout the towns in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hill country and bring, bra bring back branches of olive wood wild olive, myrtle, palm, and uh, other leafy trees, and make booths, just as it is written. Jump down to 17. The whole community that had returned from exile made booths and lived in them. They had not celebrated like this from the day of, of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. And there was tremendous joy. Ezra read out of the book of the law of God every day from the first day to the last, the Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day there was an assembly according to the ordinance. Now, here's, here's what happened. 
they understood what God's word said, and they said, there's an ordinance here. There's, there's something we're supposed to do. We're, we're going to do it. So not only did I, was I convicted of sin and were my sins atoned for, but now there was a command to rejoice and obey the Scripture, that we would be obedient to it. And it's interesting the text said this had not been celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, and there was tremendous joy. It was not that the, the festival had not been observed. It had not been observed like this. And what, what does it mean like this? Well, tremendous joy is one of those things at the end of verse 17. But look at the, look at the verse, first part of verse 17. It says, the whole community that returned from exile. How many of them? All of them, the whole. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll make some boosts, and okay, yeah, it's time of the year again, here we go. They heard the law of God, they responded to the law of God, and then they obeyed the law of God. And there was much fruit because of it. See, the, it, the law of God, the word of God is to be obeyed, and as worshipers of God, we are to obey it as well. And it should be that obedience and the rejoicing obedience should be present in our families, in our community, and in our church. Obedience is much different when we do it from a rejoicing heart rather than out of obligation. Amen? And that's, and that's what we should be doing. Our obedience comes out of our joy and rejoicing over the, over the God who saved us, who cleansed us from our sin. That's where our, obe- our obedience comes. When we obey the Lord because we rejoice in him, then our service becomes a delight to God. And as the people of God... We should not only have a joy in hearing the word, but a a great gladness, right? Or a tremendous joy in obeying the word. Tremendous joy in obeying the word. If you and I don't have a tremendous joy in obeying the word, we have not understood the joy of the Lord. We are still in the middle of poor me, ho-hum, maybe I've got it all together. I'm just such a sinner. How can I even come before God? And what Ezra said, what Nehemiah said, what the priest said is, get over your mourning, turn that mourning into joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes, we should mourn as Christians. We should grieve over our own sin and grieve over the sin of people around us, but that is not what marks us. What marks us is a people of joy who are obedient to the word. In this festival of booths, I want us to understand what, what it called for. It called for a rejoicing obedience and it called us to remember. And here's what they did. They looked back. So they were remembering the 40 years spent in the desert by their ancestors. They looked back to that because during that time, they were homeless and left to live in these homeless shelters, right? They had to make their own shelters. But what they looked back at is that there was a good God that continued to provide for them, even in the middle of that destitution. And then they looked at the present. They looked around, and they were to celebrate and look at the provision of God how God was continuing to provide for them. This was typically celebrated right after the harvest. So they just had their harvest, and then they're they're thankful to God for how he abundantly provided for them. And then finally, they, they looked ahead to the king and to the kingdom that was promised because that's where our joy and our hope is. It's not in today. It's in what's going to be tomorrow, that one day there will be a day where the king and his kingdom are present and in full operation. You see, we rejoice when we remember. And finally, a servant's worship should rejoice in the goodness and the grace of God or in the love and in the grace of God. We're going to switch into chapter 9 now. We're going to break down a couple of different 
uh, things here about, about who God is. What, what happened is this. They, they responded to the word. They had the word. They loved the word. They received the word. They repented of their sin. And they rejoiced in the word because they understood it. And then they composed a psalm. They composed a song, a praise. They wanted to, to, to speak to God. And, and that's often in a prayer, right? We, we sing or we pray to God, and it's a response from our heart. You see, these people have had an opportunity to hear from God and, and, and have gotten closer to God and understood their relationship with him. And now they're going to respond with their own words. And this was likely, what well, chapter 9 was likely something that was, was written and rewritten and, and redone and kind of, Hey, let's, let's make something we want to say to God. What is it? Okay, we, we all agree. Sounds good. Now let's take it and say it to God. It wasn't off the cuff. It was, it was intently thought about. It was deliberately studied. And then they made their request to God. They rejoiced in the goodness and grace of God. First, we look and see about his greatness. Let's look at Nehemiah 9 and look at verses 5 and 6. Then the Levites, Yeshua, Kadamil, Bani, Hashabani, uh, Sherabai, uh, Hodiah, uh, Shebaniah, and Pethani said, Stand up, praise Yahweh your God from everlasting to everlasting. Praise your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are Yahweh. You created the heavens and the highest heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to all of them, and the heavenly host worships you. We, we, we focus here on the greatness of God. So if you and I are to be worshipers and to rejoice in the goodness and grace of God, it's wise of us to start with his, grace, grace, sorry, his greatness and his sovereignty. It's wise of us to say, whoa, right away. Because sometimes we get caught up in the, God, will you do this for me? Or God, when are you going to do this? And when are you going to handle that? God, please, please take care of this. And we start to see ourselves become a little bit selfish. But for you and I to enter God's presence and say, like Isaiah did, whoa. You say that with me? Whoa. You are sovereign. You are holy. You are God. You are the great I am. There is no other greater than you. You are the self-existent one. There is no other name above heaven and earth by which we must be saved. And at, every, at his name, everything will bow. We, we sang a song today, the mountains bow down. The rocks will cry out. The mountains will bow. Every single knee will bow before Jesus Christ. You and I should start that way. Our worship should start bowing down before a sovereign God and saying, you know what, I don't know all the answers. I don't have it all together. But I know the one who holds my future. And he's on his throne and he's sovereign and I will submit to him. It is wise to begin with the greatness of God that we not become selfish. Next we see his goodness. We saw the greatness of God, then we see his goodness. <clears throat> Look at verse 8. I'm going to read different passages here, verse 8, and then jump down to 15. Uh, you found his, his heart faithful in your sight and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, the Amorites, the uh, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites, and to give to his descendants what you kept, uh, you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. So th there was a promise to Abraham that, that he's going to be m many, right? His, he will father many nations, and the seed will, will be many. 
And we jump down to verse 15 through 17. <clears throat> you provided bread from heaven for their hunger. This is in the desert. You brought them water from the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land you have, you have sworn to give them. But our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. They refused, said they refused uh, to go in and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. Wow, look at the goodness of God there. Jump down to verse 30. You were patient with them for many years, and your spirit warned them through your prophets, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. For you and I as worshipers of God, we have to understand that God is great. He is sovereign. He is, he is far above anything I could imagine. But we have to understand that not only is he great, but God is good all the time. God is good, right? God is so, so good. Against this dark background of Israel's unfaithfulness shines this bright light of a faithful, faithful God. We've seen over and over again in Israel's life and Israel's history their unfaithfulness. We've seen over and over again in our lives, in our history, our unfaithfulness and our disobedience. And over and over again, that bright light of, of a faithful God is displayed. When they obeyed, he was faithful to bless. When they disobeyed, he was faithful to discipline. And when they asked for mercy, he was faithful to forgive. Our good God is a faithful God. Amen. And finally, what do we see about the goodness and grace of God? We see his mercy. And that, look at that verse 31 again. However, in your abundant compassion, you did not destroy them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. God was good to his people when his people were not good to him. Sound familiar? That's our story. And like the Jews of Nehemiah's day, in his mercy, God didn't give us what we deserved and in his grace he gave us what we didn't deserve that was life through his son and that is why we celebrate today we rejoice in remembering the cross and what christ has done for us amen and it's it's so much and we ought to be reminded constantly from the word and we ought to be it, the worship and prayer ought to be always on our lips that he is a great god always faithful and always ready to forgive and extend his grace. Surely he is the God who deserves our loving worship and our joyful obedience. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Father, we rejoice in who you are. We are so thankful that we can get to know you more and more through your word, that you reveal yourself to us. God, change our heart. Change our attitude that we might see you for who you really are. We might know you for who you really are, and we might, we might get to relate to you in our sin position and all for who you really are. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for <clears throat> extending mercy when we didn't deserve it, extending grace and giving us what we didn't deserve. Father, you are, you are so great because of that.
God, I pray that our faith would, would swell, that our joy would swell, and that our obedience would swell because of Jesus Christ, that our lives would be different and we would look more and more like the Son every day. We rejoice and respond to him today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.